you please pray with me and also for me? Well, good morning, Lord. I'm grateful for your word, and having just heard from James chapter 3, I tremble to presume to speak for you. So I ask for your help. May my words and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Just curious, by show of hands, how many of you play the New York Times Wordle game? Yeah, it's about half of us. Wordle's awesome because it's not like a crossword puzzle that you have to work on all day. You get, it takes about 10 minutes to either do it or fail. You can only play it once a day, and then it, you have to wait 24 hours to another word to reset. And if you have no idea what Wordle is, it's a five-letter word, and you have six guesses to figure out what it is, and each guess gives you some information. Now, the, thing, the reason I bring Wordle up is because I'm talking about words today, but also because twice now that game has been ruined for me because I heard somebody talking about the word of the day, and then it messed me up, right? Because you can't unhear it once you hear it. So if you did the word for today, don't say it out loud. I haven't looked at it yet or tried to, to do it. Yesterday's word was roomy, R-O-O-M-Y, and those are tough because when they have two vowels that are the same, you know, it makes it harder, and that's a strange word. But Wordle, uh, once, once somebody tells you the word, roomy, if that was today's word, I just ruined the game for you. You can't unhear it, and I can't unsay it. Like the toothpaste in the tube, once it squirts out, you can't get it back in. Or somebody told me after 745, the spoken word is an arrow spent. Once you let go, you can't get it back. It's gone. Words are incredibly powerful, and to be able to control them is a gift of God. I heard the, a real account of a professor, a very well-known, reputable professor who was lecturing, he's a Christian man, was lecturing at a major university in the area of philosophy and to undergraduates, and after his lecture was concluding, he said, well, are there any questions or comments? A cocky student raised his hand and then began to uh, disagree with everything he had just heard and refuted it and argued with the professor and, and just went on this kind of verbal tirade. And when he had spent his ideas and stopped talking, everyone was staring at the professor, waiting for a, a verbal tongue lashing about to come back. And the professor said, well, I think this is a good place to stop for the day. We'll pick up next week with chapter five. Have a great weekend, everybody. And a student went up to him and said, why didn't you put that kid in his place? That would have been so easy for you to do. And he said, I know, it was tempting. But the Lord and I have been working on my need to always have the last word. Spiritual discipline. He was bridling his tongue. How impressive that is and how mature. And he, it was a spiritual practice, a spiritual discipline. James, in chapter 1, back in the first chapter, by the way, James, is, as a wisdom writer, which is one of the categories that some say is the genre, as a wisdom writer, he's hitting on the topic of our words and our speech and the tongue in multiple places, but really then gets big about it in chapter 3. But back in chapter 1, verse 26, he says, if anyone thinks he or she is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Maturity requires a bridling of the tongue. James knows that there is great power in words. And even as I step up here, I tremble a bit because verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, and you can imply, and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged by a greater, with a greater strictness. 
Well, why is that? Well, because this platform of teaching the gospel to somebody amplifies it. This is different than just having a side conversation. To presume to teach God's word, people come and they assume that I have authority as a teacher in the church, and so I could lead a lot of people astray if I'm not faithful to God's word, and this happens all over the church, all over the world. Not many of you should presume to be teachers because there's going to be a stricter judgment for those that teach. I hear that and I think, whoa, that's why we go to seminary, you know? That's, that's why you get a degree, a master's in divinity and theology, and we study the word to learn how to be workers who rightly handle the word of God. That's very important. Now, chapter three here is all about taming the tongue. In fact, the ESV heading it puts on it is taming the tongue. And I want to build my sermon today by making a statement and then just keep adding on to it. And the first part of, of my idea is that words have power. Words have power. You know this. You know the old childhood rhyme, sticks and stones can break my bones, but names can never hurt me? That is such a lie. It is so wrong. I've broken bones playing sports with kids. They heal. But I've been told things as young. I can remember something from fifth grade. Even though I've long forgiven that kid, it's still in the back of my mind, something he said to hurt me, and it stays with me. Words have incredible power, and, and they, they can hurt. They can also help. I thought it was interesting, as I thought about sticks and stones can break my bones, I was looking through Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, and chapter 25 says this, with patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. Isn't that an interesting proverb? Internal to the ruler you're talking to, a huge transformation can happen. Words can affect things. A soft word spoken with patience to a ruler can bring about a transformation on the inside. Words can change things. They can affect things. They are incredibly powerful. Now, James 3, verses 3 and 4, say that the tongue controls the whole person. It's, it's like once our thoughts become words, what we say, they become real in a powerful way. They influence what then we're going to do. And he gives a number of examples. Um, in in uh, chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, he says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. A little piece of metal in the mouth of a horse tied to a bridle, you can, a child can grab the lead and walk a big, you know, thousands of pounds horse around. Or he uses the example of a ship. A 40-foot yacht can be controlled with a little three-foot rudder on the end of it. You just push the tiller over a little bit, and the bow whips around. It's incredible how small a thing that is and how big an effect it can have. Your tongue and my tongue are like that. Our words affect our whole lives. What we're saying affects what we're doing. And James goes on, and he talks about what a forest fire can be set with a little spark. One little word can do this huge damage when it gets out there. And in our day and age, we have now, of course, everything recorded, videos. How often do you see the little sound bites in the news where some politician or some corporate CEO or some famous person said something, and that snippet just keeps cycling on the news feed? They get our attention with it. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe she did that. It can ruin a career. It can change the outcomes in huge ways. I also tremble to think everything that I've preached in this church and has been spoken from this pulpit is recorded and is on the internet, and now it's videoed and on the internet as well. 
There is no, like, do-over. You can't pray, God, I, I pray they forget that sentence I just said because it's recorded and it's out there. And even if you go back on your social media and delete the post, there's no, there's no certainty that someone didn't get a screen capture of it, didn't record it in some way. It's out there forever. You can't get it back in this culture. What a little thing can do such damage. Just a word, a bad word at the wrong time, a wrong meaning can set a forest on fire, says James. Words have power. Now, I want to add to that and say words have power to reveal hearts, to reveal a heart or multiple hearts. Words have power to reveal a heart. Notice how in verse 21 of the first chapter, he says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, his religion is worthless. James is connecting the tongue to the heart. What you say reveals what's going on in here, which again is a frightening thought when it comes to speaking. We think we're only communicating what our words are saying, but so much more is coming with them. You know, in communication, there's what's said, then there's what was meant to be said, then there's what was heard, and there's multiple messages happening. Our hearts are being revealed when we open our mouth and start speaking. That's a frightening thought. And the tongue can, you can talk out of both sides of your mouth, as we say, which is that expression. He's talking out of both sides of his mouth, meaning I'm saying one thing over here and I'm contradicting myself over here, but it has one source because you have one heart. And so even when you say the true thing, you know, blessing God, but if I'm over here cursing my brother, was I really blessing God? Because I have one heart and what is my heart condition? And James says, it's just like a spring, the spring is either putting forth fresh water or salt water. It can't put out fresh for a little while and then salt for a little while. And then no, it's got one source. And the same is true of us. And our source is the heart. Words have power to reveal hearts. And that's a frightening thought. Now, it seems here that James, who was the brother of Jesus and heard Jesus' teaching, is once again riffing on some of what Jesus taught. Because if you jump back to the gospel reading to Luke and there's other, in the other synoptics, there are other things. Jesus goes on and he says, each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. The overflow of our heart comes out. And James here is picking up this same idea in, um, in his, his writing about what comes out of the thing is consistent of what is in the thing. What, whatever the condition of your heart is, it's coming out in your words. So let me pause and ask an introspective question. As evidenced by your words lately, what is going on in your heart? Don't ask, how is my heart? Say, what have I been saying lately? And what does that tell me about my heart? And if you're having trouble with self-reflection, ask some of the people who are in the hearing of your words. What have I been talking about lately, hon? Ask your wife, your spouse, your friend. And if they start revealing things back to you that you're not happy to hear, you might want to do some heart work. It's revealing something. Words have power to reveal hearts. Now, consider, even in James, it mentions that we are image bearers of the divine. We are God's, we are made in God's image. And if 
our words reveal our hearts, is it not true that God's word reveals God's heart? So we can look at what does his word reveal about him. And going back even to the very beginning of the book, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how did he do it? With his spoken word. He said, let there be light. And boom, there was light. And he went through the days of creation and he spoke into creation all that is here. And he said, it is good. And he even said, it is very good. So what do we learn about God and his heart based on what he has said? Well, we learn, first of all, that he's a creator. And I would say that he is an incredible artist. You look around at the created world and to borrow from Louis Armstrong, what a wonderful world. And by the way, this is the broken version. This is the masterpiece that has been smoke damaged in the house fire. There, we can still see that it's a masterpiece and see the beauty in it, but it, it's, not as, it's not perfected. A day is coming when we will see God's, his creation, all of it made new. How much better that will be. So we have this God who's a creator, who's an artist, and he makes good things. Just by what his word has said, we learn these things about his heart. We also learn, um, and James says, um, every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. You know, in the word, this thing, gifts, he gives gifts. He's our Father, our Heavenly Father that gives gifts to his children. I was taught so early on, and you've heard me say it many times, that this book is a love letter written from God to us. We learn of the love of God. That God so loved the world that he gave his son, who, by the way, is called the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He loves us that much that he was willing to come and save us. In my Bible app, I just put in the word love and looked at how many times it was in the ESV. 551 times the word love pops up in all sorts of different contexts. But the Bible is God's love letter to us. So we learn something. Words have power to reveal hearts and to reveal God's heart to us. We look at this word and we read through it and we realize we have a God who's amazing, who loves us, who is a creator, who's an artist, who gives good gifts, who's a heavenly father. His heart for you is revealed in this book. So words have power. Words have power to reveal hearts. Words have power to reveal hearts and to heal hearts. There's actually good news here. Again, James 1, verse 18 says, Of his own will, God brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his, his creatures. Remember, James is writing to the church. He is presuming his audience are Christians. They already are saved in Christ. This is not an evangelistic letter. He's not trying to persuade someone who's maybe questioning God to commit to Jesus and come in. He's saying, this has happened for you Christians. You Christian, when he says brothers and sisters, he's talking about in Christ. So he's saying, of his own will, God brought us forth by the word of truth, meaning brought us forth, gave us new birth in Christ, made us born again, brought us to a saving knowledge of the word, God, of the, Jesus, the son of God, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So back then, these were the first Christians in the world. Now we're maybe the second, third, fourth, fifth fruits of this thing that's gone on for 2,000 years where many generations of people have come to faith in Jesus. And so he is reminding us that God is doing a saving work in a person's life. Romans 10 lays out an interesting progression of how salvation happens. The Apostle Paul is, is uh, saying this. He says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
But then he says, how will they call on him uh, in, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, Paul writes, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Words have power to reveal our hearts and then to heal our hearts. God's word brings faith. As you hear the truth of the gospel, God's gift of faith can come into your life if you respond to it, if you accept it. One scholar pointed out that there's what he called an ABA pattern, where A, a topic, B, an address of it, and then A, more about that topic in chapters three and four. If chapter three is all about taming the tongue, then it comes to this paragraph at the end about wisdom being from above, and then chapter four goes into more problems of our speech. So it's almost as if it's heart problems revealed with the tongue, wisdom coming from above, and then more heart problems with the tongue. So consider for a second the wisdom from above that we are given, this way that God heals us. He says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. It's almost like he's starting to, again, riff on the teachings of Jesus in the Beatitudes. That looks a whole lot like the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Or the peacemakers, they'll be called sons and daughters of God. Or blessed are the meek, here he says gentle, same word, shall inherit the earth. There's a whole bunch of um, statements here that sound a lot like the entrance to the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is teaching about the character of the Christian, of the man or woman who's come to faith in, in Christ. An inner work starts happening in our hearts through the gospel. Now, in verse 8 of James's passage today, he says, no human being can tame the tongue. But thanks be to God, God can tame the tongue by changing a heart. So here's, here's the big deal. If you give your heart to God and invite him into it and start doing the work of the heart, you don't have to worry so much about your words and obsess over them because it's out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. So make a heart good and the words will be good right? So we give our hearts to the Lord, and the Lord heals them. We acknowledge we have a problem. And I love how in this, this passage, when, when James is talking about speaking out of both sides of the mouth, and, and he says, um, he, back up to verse 8, he says, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You know, it'd be real easy to start pointing fingers, you know, you guys, you guys, you guys. But then, what, notice what James does. One point in here, he changes the pronoun, and he says, we, he, the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the brother of Jesus, includes himself. He says, no human being can tame the tongue. It's full of poison. It's a restless evil. It even has demonic and satanic influences. He says, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. He lumps himself in there because he recognizes that none of us is perfect, and our words reveal that. But God is doing a work in us, much like the philosophy professor who is learning to put a bit and bridle on him to control what he says. And this is something we have to do with God because you and I in our own strength can't tame our tongue because we can't heal our heart. 
but God can do both, and we can cooperate with him. God can do what we can't. So I want to encourage you, first of all, examine your heart by your words. Again, what did you say in the last week or so? What are you talking about? And you could even, if you're not sure, you have a written record of a lot of it, just pull up your texts. Go look at the last 10 people you text and read the thread again. We've got like our own court um, recorder transcribing everything that we communicate because we're doing this all day. And then we send emails. If you're not sure what your spoken word is, just go look at what your written word is and then ask the question, what does my heart care about? What's going on in here? What am I communicating about my heart by what's coming out of my, my words? And then get his word into yourself. Spend time reading this love letter. Hear about what God has to say. It's the word that gives faith. It's, I mean, even we sang that Lutheran hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, talking about Satan. One little word can fell him. The power of God's word can knock the enemy down. How incredible is that? You know, just, just an utterance from God is enough to melt the earth, I think Psalm 46 said. With an utterance of the Lord, the earth melts. How powerful this word is. So bring your heart under the word. Read it. Fill your heart with God's word. And then, and then I want to encourage you to listen to what the Holy Spirit says. I'll tell you, you know, I, I've never heard an audible word from God, but he's speaking to us all the time. And I think more times than not, I hear this phrase from God. Don't say that. Like, remember, he knows the words before they're on your tongue. And I'll be in a conversation with somebody. If I'm prayerfully in a conversation and I'm, you know, you, I'm talking to somebody, but I'm thinking, Lord, what are you saying and what are you doing in this conversation? If I'm aware, which I have to confess is not nearly enough, but if I'm aware, they say something, I say something back, they say something, and I'm getting ready to comment or tell a story or inter- insert something, and I hear, don't say that. Oh, that's a tough moment. But the Lord will help us. You know, no human being can tame the tum- tongue, but God can help us. He does. He gives us help. So we have to cooperate with him. We have to listen to him. I want to encourage you to do that. Expect him to guide you in your speech and invite him to heal your heart. That's what James is, is saying. He's saying, have the words of God. Speak the words of God. Be full of the word of God. Let your heart overflow with that because out of the overflow of the heart, the tongue speaks. Words are powerful. Words have power to reveal hearts and to heal hearts. So give them your heart. Would you pray with me? Lord, again, this topic is so challenging because every single one of us has many words. We, we speak a lot. And so we ask you to help us. Lord, I pray for the courage to give us, to, for us to give you our hearts. I pray that you would heal us, fill us with your word and truth and your goodness. And have mercy, Lord. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.